Ah, it's so good, isn't it? (laughs) Things made noise. We got some things on the screen. We got chairs. We got kids are off somewhere in a room having a good time. Isn't it amazing? Do you know how all this happened? (laughs) Lots of people (laughs) did all this. So I just want to say a super, super thank you to many of you who were here early and who have been working really hard to get things ready, looking amazing, and helping us to have a place to meet that feels homey or welcoming anyway. And we'll still work on the vending machines and stuff. Don't get confused when we have communion and go to the vending machine, okay? (laughs) That's not what we're after. So this morning, um, over the next, you better turn me down a little bit in case I start getting loud. Um, So over the next few weeks, I thought uh, during our soft launch, which is what we're calling this, before we actually officially publicly launch, and we're going to be inviting the neighborhood and all sorts of different people to come and join us then, but really, we're starting now, and today is as good a day as any to encounter the Lord and to be taught from his word and to respond. So, um, but as we, as I was thinking about that, I thought, uh, I'd like to talk about our values. So as a community, our values, the redemptive news, the relational journey and the outward mission. And, uh, so we have four weeks of soft launch. So I thought, okay, that's a great thing we can do now. We'll have one other week. And so maybe the first week, what, what, what would we talk about that first week? And um, this word community kept, it keeps coming up all the time. And so I thought I would do uh, a sermon on creating community. And um, I think it's going to be like an ongoing sermon series. So every once in a while, we'll do one of the ideas from creating community. So I, at random, chose idea 18. This is a long list of creating community ideas, but I just chose one of them. And so over time, we'll talk about different ones. But this thing about community is interesting because especially as we're launching a church, we use this word all the time. I use this word all the time. Community, community, community. We want community. It's like this great, great buzzword. Feels really good. We're going to, you know, community. We're going to be a community. And then you start thinking about what, what is community? And I got, someone sent me an email at one point and it was a blog about uh, someone saying community isn't an idea. It's a, it's a, it's people. So if you get caught up in this idea of community being this thing you're going to make and it doesn't have to do with people, then you're missing it. And I thought that was really good. It really challenged me. And so in this process, we're, we're going to ask the question, what is, how, do, how does that work for us? And over time, maybe we unpack some of that. How do we create community in a real and tangible way? So idea 18 comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 21. 2 Corinthians, if you have your Bible or you have, it, uh, you have your Bible in an app, you can turn to it. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21. And if you don't, I'll read it for you. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 21. This is what Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians, in his second letter. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, talking about Jesus, made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's a beautiful passage. So my creating community idea number 18 is this. Community happens as we accept people and then lovingly invite them into reconciled relationship with God and with others. And if you're going to put a three words on it, it could be belonging, believing, and becoming. Which I thought of myself and then later found out that's like a thing people say. So then I was disappointed. But apparently other people have come up with those three words as well. So belonging. Jubilee will build community through acceptance. Jubilee will build community through acceptance. What do you see when you look at people? When you encounter someone and you see them, I think knowing what's going on in your head is important because how you see people will affect how you treat people. It will affect what you do with them, how you interact with them. And I think it's important. There was a guy in university. He's one of my best friends. He's a pastor in Michigan now. And we went to university together, and we went to uh, Youth with a Mission together. And then I came back, and he stayed and went on to Michigan. And um, I can remember when I very first met him because we were in line in orientation on the very first day of university. And I was standing in line, and I remember because his name was Jonathan as well. And so I noticed on his paper, I was like, oh, another Jonathan in line right with me. This is cool. And then I started noticing his behavior. You know, he just seemed like just overly confident for the first day of university and a little bit brash and, you know, kind of this bold guy. And he was just very loud talking, which I didn't like. And I thought, you know, this he's just, he might be arrogant maybe. Now I was standing with my mother. So that might say a lot about me at the time. But what I thought about others, being judgmental as I was. And then I remember one other time where I met, where I saw Jonathan. It was across a lobby, and I remember it very distinctly because he was wearing his volleyball outfit. He was a short guy, and he was on the volleyball team. So then right away, I was like, oh, you know, he must like be, have an attitude. And he was so loud in the room. I was like, oh, yeah, he's so arrogant. And I remember thinking I could never be friends with someone like that. Famous last words, right? So then the next year, I'm a resident assistant in the dorm, and the dorm down the hall from me, the resident assistant on that, in that hall, on the same hall, is Jonathan. So for the whole leadership week, we're the only two people in the dorm together. So, of course, we ended up building relationship and becoming great friends, and I've told him that story many times of what I thought of him. <laughs> But you know what? Our tendency is to see each other with physical eyes. 
We look and we see things, and the way Paul would say it is according to the flesh. You're looking at people just on the outward, on what they do or what they look like or how they are, and that's looking at people according to the flesh. And when we do that, I think we put people in these little boxes, and it limits them, and it limits us as well, because the box doesn't incorporate their potential, and it really is my perception that I'm putting on them. And verse 16, Paul says this, that we should stop. In verse 16, he says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. He says, let's not do that anymore. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't look at people this way. You know who never seems to have this problem? Jesus. Jesus never seems to have this problem. He's always looking at people with, not according to the flesh, but according to the heart. He's seeing in and looking in, and that's how he's evaluating. That's how he's evaluating his interactions. And he calls fishermen to follow, and he calls little tax collectors out of trees. How does he know that's the one? How does he see that? He's talking, taking water from promiscuous Samaritans and also rocks from Pharisees. He's eating with the unclean, and he heals on the Sabbath. How does he see every time? John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus came not to condemn, but to save. There's an expression that goes, you maybe have heard it. I mean, it's a not a very well-known expression, but don't judge a book by its cover. You ever heard that expression? Oh, you have. Oh, well, that's good. I thought it was not very well-known. You know what? They did this with Jesus. This is what they did. They looked at Jesus and they said, oh, he's a carpenter. What is he talking about? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Joseph and Mary's son? He's from Nazareth. Yeah, from Galilee. He talks funny. He's the great teacher. Isn't he a great teacher? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's a compassionate rabbi. They had all these words for him. Troublemaker. He's a troublemaker. He's a glutton and a drunkard. He's got these cryptic stories. They had all these different evaluations for Jesus. Paul says this, verse 16, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So maybe we thought those things about Jesus. We weren't sure who he was. We looked at kind of these things, and now we know who he is. Therefore, and so, consequently, thus, hence, as a result, for that reason, because we were wrong about Jesus, we shouldn't do it to one another, right? Because we were wrong about Jesus, Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And the idea of people being able to change and grow is difficult for us. I think it's hard for us to get in our, in our brain. There was a guy I knew, and he was a like upstanding guy, great family man. Like if you would have met him, you'd say, "Whoa, wow, he's got this great family, and he's you know well got a great job, and he was an elder in the church. Like he's a great guy." And he went down to go to the down to the states, and what popped up after thirty-five years was a pardon he'd received for a crime he committed as a youth. So he'd committed a crime, he'd gotten pardoned. And now suddenly the computer brings up the pardon. So at the, 
at the customs place. They're saying, ah, you know, uh, what's this all about? And he was t telling them, and they said, no, oh, we're not going to let you in. So they wouldn't let him into the United States because he'd had a pardon 35 years ago. And I think this is true of us, that we have a hard time in our culture with redemption. We, have a, we struggle over it. We want to, yeah, no, that's great. But we have a hard time with it. We're better at holding grudges. We're better at whispering. Oh, do you know, who, oh, do you know about them? Let me tell you about them. I know their story. Let me tell you their story. We're judgmental. We're quick to be judgmental. Verse 17 says, we're accepted by virtue of our new life in Christ and not by any other standard. So it doesn't matter what your past has been. As you come into new life in Christ, you are new. The old is gone and the new has come. This is the welcome of Jubilee. This is the welcome we want to have for one another. Now, church is a funny place because I don't think there's any other place we get to um, experience people of every demographic, every background, every ethnicity and class, and they all get mixed in together and they become friends. And it's weird, right? Where else would I meet all of you and become friends with you guys? <laughs> or you with me, for that matter. <gasps> Right? How, where would that happen? Where would we all end up mixing somewhere? Where we all share the same interests? What, how would that happen? C.S. Lewis says this, For a Christian, there are, strictly speaking, no chances. A secret master of ceremonies has been at work. The friendship is not a reward for our discriminating and good taste in finding one another out. It's the instrument by which God reveals to each of us the beauties of others. God reveals the beauty of others through this kind of relationship. Now, I heard a story where um, there was a lady and she is part of our, part of Jubilee and she was going to share her testimony. They'd asked her to come and share with a uh, uh, struggling mom's group, a women's group. And so she went and she was like, okay, I'm going to do that. And it's scary if you've ever had to do that and you're going to share your story, the ups and downs and look back and see how God's been faithful. But it's hard sometimes to share Sometimes your failures are where you miss the mark or whatever. So she was, you know, okay, I'm going to do that. And she went and sat down. And then she started talking to the other lady who'd been asked to come and speak at this women's meeting as well. And so as she was talking to this lady, and they start chatting. And then she says, oh, well, you know, what church you go to? Oh, well, I'm actually, uh, well, I'm a part of this new church community. It's just starting. It's called Jubilee. I mean, you won't have heard of it. And the lady said, well, I'm going to that too. I, like I just, I, I just started, and well, like I haven't, I haven't met you yet, and two people, and suddenly God's connecting them, and I would say it very much sounds like the secret master of ceremonies at work, putting people together in a place where they get to hear each other's story, and actually see similarities and connect on a heart level. So the challenge is. The application here, every, every point I'm going to make, I'm going to give you a challenge. So the challenge for you is to hear the story. So I want to invite you to find someone and hear their story. And as you do that, as you listen to their story, ask Jesus for his heart for them. And as they share the ups and downs of their journey, that you could say, yes, I love you because of what God has done and um, to join with them. So that's one of your jobs now, is to invite someone and try to hear their story. It's an easy 
topic of conversation if you said, hey, tell me about your life. That I know about because I lived it. <laughs> Don't ask me about the Canucks right now, but definitely I know about my life. Believing. Jubilee will build community through reconciliation. People say, well, why, why is this a part of it? You know, can we have community without that, without the believing thing? And I would say that um, we are called to, to this being a part of things, to us sharing this message because, um, like children, imitate their parents. It's the same thing that we, we are meant to do what we see. And uh, in my family growing up, my dad made breakfast. That's how it worked. He was the breakfast maker of the family. And so when I had kids of my own, I said, well, I want to I be the breakfast maker. So that's what I do. I make the eggs, the different kinds of eggs and the porridge and different porridges. And I, that's what I do. And so one day, Elijah came in and he was watching me do that. And he said, Dad, I can't wait to have a family of my own so I can make them breakfast. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's true. Like, I guess that's just what he knows. That's what I knew. And that's what we, we do what we've seen. And that's the call um, that, that Paul is giving. He's, he's talking when he says we've been given or entrusted this message and this ministry is that we're meant to imitate what we've seen demonstrated. And that's the ministry. And we should speak about what we've experienced. And that's the message. So what is the message? If, if, I, if I said to you, well, what's the message of reconciliation? What's the thing you're supposed to proclaim and let people know about? What's this good news? I would say verse 18 summarizes it in some ways. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So the first part of it is God, if you can remember that. The first part of the message of reconciliation is God. All this is from God. And if there's any confusion for you, this is what it is. In lots of other places, the, it's not God who's doing it. It's us who's doing it for God. So the example would be um, if you pictured some other foreign god or some whatever it would be, the, we could name them. So Zeus, if you were the Greeks, or Ra, if you were Egyptian, or Molech, or Baal, or Caesar. He was a god at one point. And karma, maybe. We could talk about karma. Okay, these are all things we serve, some of the things we're, we're trying to work towards. Here's the thing with them. You are the one who's making reconciliation. You are doing the good deeds. You are doing the sacrifice. You are trying to make it right. And hopefully your God, your, maybe they're vindictive or petty, I don't know. Some of them were. Maybe those gods might respond to you or maybe not, depending on what you bring. Maybe it says, nah, it doesn't quite tip the balance. You need a little more good works, a little more good stuff. And you say, okay, I'm going to try a little bit harder to make reconciliation. And the difference is Paul always talks about this in terms of God being the subject. He's the one who made reconciliation. He's the one who did it. And he reconciled humanity. And the reconciliation that God did was an act that preceded all of anything we could do. So everything we do now is a response to what God has already done. It's a reaction to what God has already worked. Romans 5 verse 10 says, For if... While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So this is the appeal God is making through us, that we believe in the redemptive power of Jesus to reconcile and make new every willing heart. Every willing heart. So what's the ministry? 
What does that look like? Well, Paul uses the word ambassador. Ambassador. And an ambassador is someone who represents you. So if you think about the Canadian ambassador, we send, we appoint someone to be the Canadian ambassador to a country, and then that person goes to that country and they represent Canada. They speak with the authority of Canada. They say when they talk and they do make decisions in meetings, it is binding for Canada. It's what Canada, if the government doesn't like what that ambassador is saying, they bring them back and get a new ambassador, right? And where that ambassador lives is called the embassy, and in that embassy is considered Canadian soil. So if someone attacks that place, it's considered an attack on Canada because that place is like a, a bastion of Canada in another place. And this is what our job is. This is what Paul says. We've been entrusted with the job of being ambassadors of this message. It's sharing what you experienced. It's bringing the kingdom out and saying, hey, this is what it is. Then when you were far away, God brought you near. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. Your slate was wiped clean. Your shame was erased. Your guilt was obliterated. That you exchanged your death life for eternal life. And you were saved by grace. Verse 19 says, In Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. It's beautiful. So what's our challenge? Our challenge, I think, as kingdom ambassadors is that we would live differently. We wouldn't look the same as everyone else. People would don't say, they, when they see an ambassador, they say, oh, you talk funny. Oh, well, yeah, I'm from Canada. Eh? Right? So we would look different. And some of the things I thought about maybe that we're meant to look different in is that kingdom ambassadors are meant to reach out. So as kingdom ambassadors, we are reaching out. What if we're the ones that are putting on the parties in the neighborhood? What if we're the ones reaching out and going into places where people are and need to hear the message? 2 Corinthians 2.15 says, For we are the aroma of Christ. We're the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Secondly, so we could reach out, and as we reach out, we are called to love. It says love is the mark, the commandment, that it's the fulfillment of the law that our choosing to love, to walk in love. John thirteen thirty five says, By this all people will know that you're my disciple if you have love for one another. And so we're going to reach out, we're going to love others, and in that I like to add we're going to be unoffendable. There's a lot of people, I'm just going to tell you if you don't know this, there's a lot of people who think Christians are really fragile. And I know that because when they know I'm a Christian and I get around the group of soccer dads or whatever and people start cussing, they all look at me and like, oh, sorry, sorry. We're worried you're going to melt or something. <laughs> and I just think like, well, you can't offend me. What? Like nothing you say actually <laughs> I don't think could offend me. So I t- I'm choosing to be unoffendable. I might get more offended with religious people and stuff they say than I would with the soccer dads at the soccer field. And I want to encourage you that as kingdom ambassadors that we choose to live in a way that's unoffendable because we're bringing something that is so life-transforming. You know, where people are at doesn't scare us. And then lastly, it would be to speak good news. And I think in the same way that God initiated with us, God acted first, that we are also, as kingdom ambassadors, are supposed to act first. So there's that sense of like, you're talking with people and you say, oh, it never comes up. God, you know, God's stuff, church, all these things. Like, it never comes up. 
And I want to encourage you that as initiators, that sometimes, <laughs> and it may be a little awkward, I'm trying to do this. It's hard. So I'm trying to do this in some conversations to say, well, you're talking about feeling hopeless. Let me just interject a little thing about God. And you know what? More often than not, it doesn't end up being awkward. It actually ends up being really neat. But it's hard to do. It's hard to step out in to initiate. Romans 10 verse 15 says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. And the last thing is becoming. The Jubilee will build community through being and becoming invitational. And there's a lot of things I could talk about when we talk about becoming. We become more like Jesus. We become more who we were made to be as we journey with God. But in this context of creating community, this is the the word I thought of as invitational. And especially in this passage, it says in verse 20, Therefore, we we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. God is making an appeal, and that sounds like an invitation. That we're, we're going out, we're inviting people to something. And when I thought about that, I thought about parables, which I think about a lot. There's a parable Jesus tells that I thought of, and actually there's two of them, and they're very similar. They have a few differences, but some similarities. And the two parables are to do with feasts or banquets, and they happen in Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 15, and in Luke chapter 14, verses 16 to 24. And the two stories go like this. There's a king or there's the host of the banquet and he's, I want to throw the party. The king wants to throw a wedding banquet for his son. And so he sends out the invitations through the servants to all these people and the invited guests. And then he sends the servants again to say, it's time to come. And as, there's the wedding. That was my brother's wedding, actually. And so as he sends out the invitations and people go out and they're meant to come in, these people start responding. They say, no, we don't want to come. And they start mistreating the servants. The son of the servants get killed. It turns really ugly. The king sends more servants. They get killed. And finally the king says, okay, we're going to deal with that. In the other story, the man invites people and the people make excuses. They say things like, no, I'm shampooing my hair. I'm busy cleaning my house for whatever the thing is. It's like ridiculous. And they say, no, we don't want to come. And so the message comes back to the king and to the man. And they say, okay, well, then we want to we have people at the party. So let's invite whoever. Just go out and invite people. And so the king's servants go out and they invite, it says, the good and the bad come to the party. Okay, so I don't like that story very much. And then the other one, they invite the crippled and the lame and the, and the blind and they come in. That sounds a little bit nicer. But still, like, you know, it's going to be a crazy party. All these people come in. And so these are the stories about invitation. In both stories, the, 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 main, the king or the man are inviting people. And the way they're inviting people isn't because they're going and inviting. The king sends servants to do the inviting. He sends servants with the invitation. In both these stories, servants carry the invitation. Now, to me, in, invitation is about opportunity. Because I can say no or yes to an invitation, right? If you invite me to something, I could say, yeah, yeah. I might feel pressured to do certain things over other things. But in the end, I could say yes or no. That's what an invitation is. You can refuse it. And both stories have people who refuse the invitation. Now, I think Jesus is really clear here talking about and to the religious people of the day. 
And we know that because in context, Jesus was telling a bunch of other stories right before this story where he was talking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the experts, and he was addressing these people. And then he comes to this story, and he's also a chapter before he says in Matthew 21, 31, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Oh, that made them mad. So mad. Here's these people. They thought they had all the answers. They thought they had it all together. And Jesus says, you won't respond to God. You won't respond. You know what? Tax collectors and prostitutes will get in before you. And he's telling this story. And I think for us, the lesson is, as a community, we're not trying to build church by adding really good people. Go out and find all the good people you know, all the best people and religious people and and try to get them to come to church because then we'll have a great church. The idea is that we're looking for lost people who will respond, anyone who will respond to the message of Jesus. That's the story. He says, go out and find whoever will respond and come in. And I was talking to a guy yesterday and he was saying, well, I'm afraid I got struck by lightning if I go to church. And I was like, no, God does, God's not striking people with lightning in our church anyway. Not that I've seen. You should come. Just come join us and see what it's about. And the king then orders his servants to go and invite everybody. And this is how uh, it describes in Luke 14. Um, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Sounds like that language of appeal. Compel them to come in so my house will be full. And then Matthew 22 says, And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now, when I read this story, I'm sorry, I was like, bad and good? That doesn't sound like a very good feast. Bad and good? What? Maybe bad doesn't mean bad. Maybe it just means bad, you know, the different bad. And I looked it up. You know what bad means? Evil. <laughs> okay, that's not helping me. The good and the evil? We're gonna, like, is there a designated seating or something? Like, I don't know if I want to sit next to the evil, but okay, I'm worried about it. Do you know what? <laughs> Honor, like, should we be picky, more picky than we are? I don't know. What's the standard here? Do you know what the standard is? Do you know what the invitational standard is? Anyone who will respond, good or bad, the crippled, the lame, the blind, bring them in. If they'll respond, if they'll come, then invite them in. That's what they have in common. Whether it was the crippled, the poor, the blind, the good, the bad, they all needed to respond and come. Now, there's a part of this story I don't like to tell in the Matthew story, and that is that at the end of that story, there's always a part that's bothered me because They invite in the good and the bad and they're having this big party and the king goes into the party and then the king looks around and he sees this one guy and he says, that guy's not wearing wedding clothes. And you're like, what's going on? And then he says, get him out. Kick him, throw him out in the darkness. Darkness of hell, actually it says. Oh my goodness, what's the deal? And I look at him like, this is not fair. We've invited the poor, the crippled, the lame, and we're going to bring everyone in. This one guy, we're going to throw him back out because he's not wearing good enough clothes? It just doesn't seem right to me. And I think maybe some of you, I have at different points, worried that maybe that was going to be me. At some point, I was going to be there, and someone was going to realize and figure out, this guy 
why is he here? He's a, he shouldn't be here. Be like, no, 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 no. I, maybe the facade is going to fall down and someone's going to see in and realize, what, Jonathan, you, you shouldn't be at this feast. You're not wearing the right clothes. Now, it might change for you, as it did for me, when I found out that the king outfits the guests of a wedding feast. The host will give a wedding outfit to each of his guests. Would it change for you if you knew there was a garment that was offered and then rejected? Would it change for you if you knew the insult and implied in Middle Eastern culture for someone to refuse the wedding garment? And I believe with all my heart that the garment that we're talking about is the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. Paul says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Paul, the ambassador, the servant, he invites and he implores and he says, take the garment. Take the garment. It's a costly one. Trade your dirty rags for the righteousness of God. Bad and good. It doesn't matter. You all need the garment of the king. We aren't going to be the bouncers at the door, and we aren't going to be the doormen. We aren't going to be the garment inspectors. Oh, oh, I want that job. It's not going to be your job. You are maybe, and I am maybe, the invited guests, and hopefully we're becoming the imploring invitational servants who go out and say, come in. There's a garment for you if you'll take it. And so my last challenge to you would be, as we create community, to live in a way that's invitational. And when I say this, I mean uh, not just invitation to events, but invitations into lives. And most importantly, invitation into relationship with the living God who's done all that needed to be done. There's a feast, and there's a table, and there's a wedding garment that's offered. So community happens as we accept people and then we lovingly invite them into reconciled relationship with God and with others. Belonging, believing, and becoming. And so your three challenges were, number one, make it your goal to meet someone and hear their story. Listen with compassion and pray to have the heart of Jesus as you do that. Secondly, um, that you would become a grace ambassador. And as you live as a grace ambassador, you would be a person who reaches out, who loves others, who is unoffendable, and who speaks the message. And thirdly, your third challenge is to invite someone. Invite them to your home for lunch, for coffee, to an event, to a gathering, and most importantly, to freedom, to relationship, to experience Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you for that you took the first step and you, uh, you reconciled us before we even knew who you were, even before we knew your name, that you came and you sent your son to reconcile us to yourself, that you paid the price for our sin. You took our, our brokenness and our dirty rags and you offered us a beautiful garment, a garment of righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus. And God, my prayer today is that um, for us, that we would respond to you, that, um, 
that as that's a, a, an offer for us that we would respond to with our hearts, Lord, we would take the garment. We would respond to the invitation to come.